Let's read the same word in, I think, different other translations. In the Passion Translation, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, I won't hesitate to continually remind you of these truths, even though you are aware of them and are well established in the present measure of truth. I like that. In the present measure of truth you have already embraced. So Peter is saying there's a present measure. There's something we've deposited into your life. There's something fresh that God has been speaking. You're carrying that inside of your own heart. In the message translation, it says, because the stakes are so high, even though you're up to date on all this truth, you are up to date on all this truth and practice it inside and out. I am not going to let, uh, to let up for a minute in calling you to attention before it. Everybody got that? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Present truth. Let's say present truth again. A phrase, present truth, the word present means to be near, to be at hand, to be near, to be at hand. Truth describes that which is the unveiled reality of God, the essence of the matter. So what is present truth? Present truth is the nearness of God to his church. It is a spiritual portal facilitating the flow of life from heaven to earth. Present truth is the measure of Christ allocated to a church generation and by which we can wage war against forces of darkness. What is present truth? It is the nearness of God. In other words, God comes near to his body by his truth, by his word. The nearness of God to his church, a spiritual portal facilitating the flow of life from heaven to earth. The measure of Christ allocated to a church generation and by which we can wage war against forces of darkness. Every church generation has some battles to fight. And what God does, he releases present truth to equip us to be able to fight against those issues of darkness. That's what present truth is about. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. So what we're saying is that the timeline shows us the historical landmarks and the present truth of God. Where God is, what God is doing, what is the emphasis of the Spirit inside of his time. So the present truth of God is the nearness of God to his church. A spiritual portal facilitating the flow of life from heaven to earth. The measure of Christ allocated to a church generation and by which we can wage war against forces of darkness. It is what makes us strong in a particular season. An impartation of God that makes, strong, makes us strong in a particular season. Everybody got that? So present truth is basically Jesus in a context. That's what present truth is. Jesus in a context. He said, I am who I am who I am. Jesus in a context. Jesus in the season. That's what present truth is. The manifest, the manifestation of Jesus before his church at a particular point in time. That's what present, present truth is. The descent emphasis of the nature of the Lord to his church. That's what present truth is. And from that place, we can live successful individual personal lives 
we can build successful marriages, we can build successful families, we can build all sorts of things from that place. Because that's a portal of life, yeah? That's a portal of life to you and I. And we cannot ignore that. Here's what Jesus said about himself. John chapter 6, verse 48 to 51. So when we talk about present truth, we talk about the a seasonal distribution of heavenly resources to the church. In John 6, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So basically, Jesus said, I'm, I'm the present day manna. All right? And just like manna, remember the story of manna in Exodus? You know, this, you know, like pieces of bread fell from heaven. And uh, you could not live today by yesterday's manna. Remember that? It would rot. And people did try because humans are humans. They collected a lot more to try and keep. Because they didn't, okay, I can be smart about this. I don't have to wake up the following morning. And when they found, they found it, 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 it had rotten the following day. Jesus says, I am that. And I was just saying, this is how I come to my church. Every season, every morning, right? Morning by morning, there's a grace allocation to you and I, season by season. And we've got to discern that for the church because we prevail if we live from that portal. And that's what we need to help, you know, uh, churches, even as we help ourselves in these issues. Amen. So diversities of ministry must be balanced with common biblical standards. Amen. Because we do have common biblical standards. Diversities of burdens or visions must be balanced with common goal of maturity. No matter what vision a church has, at the end of the day, believers must be growing. Amen. We can't have such a great vision. <laughs> you know, yeah. We have a great vision. That's why believers have not been growing. At the end of the day, all visions must lead to growth. Common destiny. Yeah? Diversities of expressions, but common truth in Christ. So we, this is why we talk about this as is the tension of discernment and humility. We need to understand this and understand it very well, LSA. Diversities of ministry, but common biblical standards. Diversities of burdens or visions, but common goal of maturity in the Lord. Diversities of expressions, but common truth in Christ. Amen. Common burdens must not result in limitation and deprivation of believers from growing. So if we have a project as a church, it could be whatever project, and the project somehow is working against us in facilitating growth, then drop the project. Yeah? Because you want things that facilitate growth in the church. There has to be growth. Diversities of ministry versus common biblical standards. Diversities of burdens or visions versus common goal of maturity. All believers must grow at the end of the day, it does not matter what the vision is. Diversities of expressions versus common truth in the Lord. Our journey in Jesus Christ is accumulative and progressive 
There is no church grouping or movement that is called to fossilize God's historical movements. Yeah? No church is called to, to be a fossil. To fossilize the old is to stand against God's vision of building towards the new. The vision is until we all become. Ephesians 4 verses 12 to 13. And what is the common goal of all ministry? According to Paul. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. Paul says, whatever you're doing as a ministry, it needs to produce this at the end of the day. Colossians 1.28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's the common goal. Let's say that's the common goal. There's a common goal here of all ministries. And, and, and that's, I think that's what God is doing. And yes, there are diversities and expressions, but there's a common goal. And the common goal is Christ, really. Ephesians 4. If you read the vision of Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 16, you see that very clearly there. So no church grouping is called to fossilize. We, we must ident churches must identify themselves with Christ and not with the past works of Christ. Amen? We must identify ourselves with, with Christ in his present truth and not with the past works of Christ. I think there's a scriptures in Isaiah 43 verse 18. Do not remember the former things. Don't become a fossil. In other words, that's God's way of saying don't become a fossil. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Do not remember the former things. That, that word remember, do not remember, means do not let them dominate your thinking system, your way of thinking, your practices in 2023. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. God shifts our focus all the time to the next thing that he's doing. In Matthew 13, verse 52, Jesus said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Amen. So Jesus said, well, remember the, the teacher of the law represents the the past thing that God did in this context. And he said, when the teacher of the law adopts the kingdom of God and embraces the message about the kingdom of God, he's like a house that is filled with old and new treasures. And that's a beautiful thing. That's the timeline. Amen. That's the timeline. Now, I want to illustrate some of these principles by scripture, and then we'll be done here. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road <clears throat> through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. They found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That's a terrible thing. So you and I are going to go to places that have not even heard of something. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. In verse 3, so Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. 
On, on hearing this, they were baptized. They were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Amazing scripture. I do want us to identify some details here. While Apollos was at Corinth, that's where it begins in chapter 19, verse 1. <clears throat> Paul arrives, he descends these believers, and he sees limitation, and he begins to have a conversation with them based on what he descends, and he explains the way of the kingdom, the truth of God, in a more adequate way, uh, in a way that allows them to have new revelation, a new spiritual experience, and allows Paul to practice some ministration with these believers. Without this truth, Paul can't do this. Without the new revelation, without the new spiritual experience, Paul cannot lay hands on them to release the Holy Spirit. There's a limitation. Amen? So that's Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. If we reverse a bit back to Acts 18, verses 24 to 28, remember we're tracing this guy called Apollos. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew he only, uh, sorry, though he, he knew only the baptism of John. In verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, discernment. Say discernment. So they measured, they quantified his level of understanding. In other words, this was not empty, absent-minded hearing. It was a discerning hearing. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. There's attitude there. They don't make fun of him. Yeah? They invite him over. They have dinner. It's a decent process. In verse 27, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, and Achaia is where Corinth is, the city. Corinth is the capital city. So, Apollos goes to Achaia, the brothers encourage, encourage him to, to, and they write a letter of commendation for him. And so wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help. Say great help. Say great help. Oh yeah, we want some people of great help in LSA. He was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. The message has changed. The message has changed. Now, we have to note a couple of things out of the scripture. Apollos is a gifted teacher of the word of God, but has limited revelation knowledge of Jesus. <clears throat> so we have a tension here of gift versus knowledge, right? Gift versus Knowledge. He's a gifted speaker, but with limited knowledge of the Lord Jesus. His gift would have edified the disciples in Ephesus. Remember, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos arrives in Ephesus, and then in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, and then in 28, he's leaving to Achaia, to Corinth. And as he leaves, what happens is that Paul arrives. 
So Paul arrives to a space that has been ministered to by Apollos. That's what I wanted to see, right? So Apollos was a gifted teacher but with limited revelation knowledge of the Lord. His gift would have edified the disciples in Ephesus. Was, he was a gifted teacher, but it did not equip them in the present truth of salvation in Christ. Apollos left the Ephesus disciples inadequately prepared to live for Jesus. When Paul shows up, he instantly discerns the limitation of these of these believers. And the reason he asked them, what baptism did you receive? Do we see this? So Apollos has been in Ephesus ministering. He's a powerful, gifted speaker, but with limited doctrine. And he leaves afterwards, he leaves to Achaia, to, to Corinth. Paul arrives, and Paul sees limitation. There should not be limitation there, but there is. There should not be limitation there because there's been a, a, you know, a teacher who has been teaching these people, but there is, and that's the problem. Paul did not leave the Ephesus disciples unattended in the name of diversity of ministry. Yeah? He presents the truth to them, and this gives birth to one of the more powerful churches, actually. How amazing is this? Remember we said church is a dynamic community? From 12 ill-equipped disciples to one of the more powerful churches of the early church. How amazing is this? But we see what can happen when there is limitation on the side of leadership. We can be gifted but limited. How amazing is that? We can be gifted speakers but limited in doctrine. How amazing is that? Aquila and Priscilla listen to, to, to Apollos and they discern his scope of doctrine. Equally, Paul arrives in Ephesus and looks at these believers and he can instantly discern that there's a, there's a shortage here. There's a problem. You know, he's not being funny. He is actually helping the body of Jesus to grow and to become a powerful thing. Churches must identify themselves not with the past, but with the passing of Christ in the form of present truth. The complexity of this LSA is this. Big question is what is the present truth? And the more important question is, who is authorized to proclaim the present truth? When you start asking those questions, you're asking hectic questions. And the latter is always the issue. And if you take Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ as the truth, that the early church was grappling with and proclaiming, Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the truth of a Christ was not the problem. Everybody believed there was going to be a Messiah, right? The problem was Jesus of Nazareth. That was the problem. So they refuted and refused Jesus of Nazareth, but the truth of a Christ. So you may go to places where you proclaim kingdom humanity, and people say, we, we agree, but we don't know about you being kingdom humanity. What do you say? You just stare at them. <laughs> what do you say? Yeah. God sends gifts, the church descends and receives gifts. So if you take the example of Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, 
The problem was not that there was to be the Christ. The problem was, is Jesus of Nazareth the Christ? That was the point of argument and debate. Everybody believed in the coming Messiah. But I think most people refused to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the coming Messiah. That's where the debate is. That's where the argument is. And remember, the issue, LSA, attitude, the issue is not people. The issue is spiritual forces behind these things. So these things require what? Grace? Uh-huh. Don't you and I must, you know, you know, you and I must pray for grace, favor, anointing, prayer, prayer, perseverance, wisdom, relational engagements, don't be unwise. Conferencing, councils, in Acts 15, they're meeting to discuss doctrine. There's been many of such councils in the history of the church to agree on certain things. And so we have to be adequately prepared. Amen. This is not to, it's not, it's not to overwhelm us. It's to just present the realities as God and, and that's what I feel inside of my heart. I think God wants his church to be adequately prepared. So what are the things as we end this? What do we believe about the church of Jesus Christ? The bride of Christ is the, the bride of Jesus, right? That should condition you and I. The bride of Christ is people, not organizations. But people are part of organizations. We've got to, we've got to recognize that. Church has common faith in the present truth of the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is building all believers unto perfection in his nature. We measure human and not organizational growth. Church is a dynamic, evolutionary, and progressive spiritual community. Church is the agency of the kingdom. Church is important, guys. It's the agency of the kingdom. We proclaim the truth of God to the church from a place of personal transformation and mutual identification. And we desire to see the body of Christ in her glorious and mature state. In the Lord Jesus. Amen. The question is the question of attitude. If our attitude can be correct, we don't want a crazy attitude. We don't want a lofty attitude. But we don't want a simplistic attitude either. We don't want sentimental attitudes. Our attitude must be correct and measured and balanced. And we need to allow the Lord to lead us. We need to be asking the question of David, shall I go up all the time? Amen? In a day when things are opening up, we need to ask the question, shall I go up? I had, this, I had to ask the same question about Dubai. We, we, we had to have a conversation with Zamo about, shall I go up? Do I go to Dubai? We have to weigh that and feel that and discern that. And I want to encourage you to, to be discerning of these things. We're in a great season of favor. We're in a season of opportunity. We're in a season when things are opening up. And that requires you and I to be discerning of the Spirit of the Lord. To let him order our steps. And constantly be asking that question, God, shall I go up? And if there's something in you that says, no, do not move. 
was you can win against fortified cities of Jericho and be defeated by a small city of Ai. If we're not descending on the things of God. Let's be collaborative. Let's talk. Let's be talking about the things that are opening up. Let's be prayerful. Amen. Let's seek the, the face of the Lord about the things that are opening up. We're not investing in, you know, <laughs> when I was going to come to Devon, God said, go to Devon to start a church. And I was having a conversation. I had a conversation with a couple of people. And this one, very funny, like, uh, he's actually a pastor, this guy. said, you know, what kind of church are you going to be building? Is it a decayed church? Or is it an eternal church? And we're laughing about it. And whenever I bump into him, he says the same thing and we laugh. But there was a point he was making. We're investing in something that will last. There's no point in having great momentum now. Five years down the line, you've run out of energy. Don't be pushed by Facebook. Amen? Don't be pushed by Instagram. Don't be pushed by the edge to prove something to somebody. Or to be seen to be doing something. To be seen to be busy. That's the pressure of the day. Always go back to the Lord. Shall I go up? Don't be pushed. Because if you are pushed, you're going to find yourself in wrong associations. Wrong groupings. Wrong missions. Simply because you are trying to fill your calendar. Amen. We want to descend the way of the Lord and he must order our steps. I love the fact that God shows us. He says, lift up your eyes to see, but he also orders our steps. That's a daily thing, right? That's a more detailed leading of the Lord. That's what I want. I don't just want panoramic vision. I want detailed leading of the Lord. He must show me the big picture, but he must also be in the details. Amen. What must he do? He must show me the big picture, but he must also be in the details. That's what I want. I want him to be leading me. Because I want to be successful in the things of the Lord. We're grateful for this season, LSA. It's a season of favor. It's a favor that is upon this church. It's a season of opportunity. It's a season when things are opening up. But that season can be a season of seductions also. And so it requires for you and I to be discerning and for you and I to be led of the Lord, to always locate the peace of Jesus. Follow the way of peace. What must he do? What must he do? Follow the way of peace, not the way of excitement. Not the way of natural. Excitement is good. We're all excited about the things that God is doing. But follow the way of spiritual peace. Follow the way of shalom. And that way, we shall be constantly successful. 20 years later, we shall have the same energy. And even more. Amen. I stand and pray to God. Thank you, Jesus.